Join us at our annual conferences in London, Florida and Sydney to learn everything you need to know about ITAM in the cloud era. For more details, head to itassetmanagement.net forward slash events. Welcome to the ITAM Review Podcast, news, reviews and resources for ITAM, SAM and software licensing professionals. Welcome to the ITAM Review Podcast. My name is Martin Thompson from the ITAM Review and today I'm very happy to invite, uh, um, I I was going to say old friend, I'm not sure old friend is a complimentary way of introducing Philippa, but I've known Philippa for a very long time. <laughs> onto the podcast. Um, uh, Philippa very kindly presented at our USA conference last year and uh, managed to captivate the audience. Um, I find um, Philippa a very positive person. I'm very, wel- uh, very happy to welcome her to the podcast. Philippa is the CEO and founder of a company called Software Optimization Services, or more commonly known as SOS, down in Perth in Australia. And I thought I was looking at your website, Philippa, and I found this is probably the best way of describing you. This comes from one of your customers, which is Philippa and her SWAT team are an elite force, a focused and highly skilled crack team of software licensed professionals. I could, I thought you couldn't say it any sweeter than that, really. Um, so, Philippa, welcome to the podcast. Um, I, th- I was looking at my old emails, and I think we first interacted about 2010. Um, when you were, I think you're probably still at Insight. So perhaps by means of an introduction, yes. could you perhaps d- tell us how did you get started in this field and um, what did you do before SOS? Thank you for having me, Martin, and hello to all the um, ITAM um, readers and readership. Um, yes, how did I get into this? Well, um, actually, it was... Um, a number of my customers when I was at Insight that actually inspired me to start um, SOS. And the reason they were saying is, one, that we wanted to really get into software asset management because everyone, you know, there was a time when I was one of very few that was doing software licensing. Um, And then everyone started doing software licensing. So, you know, I think I've got this view that when everyone starts doing the same thing, then you want to do something different and get in there first. So then I was very, very interested in the software asset management piece because software licensing is so impacted, well, sorry, software asset management is so impacted, um, impacts the software license position. So um, a number of my customers said to me, you know, well, Philippa, as, as long as you're transacting my licenses, I don't want you looking in my back office. And that's where the inspiration came. One, because there was no one other than the big four um, that was really doing some, um, and in fact, here in Australia, we've only got the big two that are doing it. There wasn't an independent practice as such back wow. in 2011 that was really doing this work well. Um, so, yeah, thank you to my, my, my CRO clients and some of my clients that inspired me to start the business. And if we could take a step back, what, why, how did you get, I think you were Insight and you're CSC, if I remember. Um, yes. How did you get into those roles? How did you get into licensing in the first place? 
Well, um, interestingly, I studied, um, I went to university to study pharmacy. I was always going to be a pharmacist. And um, I got two years of farm behind me. And I think the most interesting subject, the subject I enjoyed the most was the business administration side of running a pharmacy. And um, I asked um, back then, um, if you didn't have a science degree in our family, well, that was it. You'd have to find your own way, which I did. Um, so I left university and I, I thought, well, the jobs that they wanted needed computer skills. So I went and did computers. Um, and I did um, uh, PR and marketing as well. And to be honest, I, I do not walk into a pharmacy today and go, I wish I was a pharmacist. <laughs> I'm much better in IT. <laughs> Um, but I'm grateful for the PR and marketing um, studies that I did because it really gives you such an edge in terms of really being able to put the shoe on the other foot and see, well, how does the customer want to hear this news? How am I going to present this? Um, and it actually really helps in, we've been dubbed um, by a number of clients here in Australia, and we've actually used it in our marketing now as the Switzerland. Um, and yeah, I think it's that unique having ability to, know how to put that shoe on the other foot that gives us this independence and the Switzerland. So it's kind of, I think if I was mentoring kids, I'd be recommending that that as a start as well. So you had customers and, customers saying you wanted to start this practice and they want somebody independent. Yep. So you started SOS. How did you make that yep. leap? You know, cushy, well, not cushy, but, you know, comfortable. Living, yeah, working very through, comfortable. Working at Insight. <laughs> and then making the leap to starting on your own. How did you do that? Well, um, look, I think um, I got to a stage where um, I've always been very much around, uh, I am a salesperson, but I'm very much a true salesperson in that, look, if you don't need this, I'm not going to sell it to you, right? And if I believe in it, then I'm going to sell it to you. And so the situation was that um, I, Gosh, I've just lost my train of thought. I was going with this, so we'll have to cut this piece of it. Okay. Um, but what I wanted to <laughs> what I wanted to say is that I, when I left um, Inside, I made that decision to jump, and I had a number of of um, mentors that were inspiring me to start. As I mentioned before, one because no one was doing it, and two that everything would align. You know, when you made that decision to really go off on your own and it just did right so um i was also it couldn't have come at a worse time but i thought you know if, if ever there was a time it's got to be now it was gfc it was post my divorce and i didn't have a healthy nest egg but i had this burning desire to do the service that no one else was doing and you know seven years in and we're here and we took we took out a global award um, and we've got a high customer satisfaction um, because the clients really need this independence. Um, so that's kind of how it all evolved. But it was, pharmacy wasn't for me, IT was, and, and I'm so grateful that I had an opportunity to self-fund my way because, um, yeah, we get to do some really purposeful work in the area that we're in. So could I, sorry to go on about this, but I'd, I'd really like to know about the mechanics of it because uh, before, mm. we go, before we go on to what SOS does, um, because we've done a salary survey in the last couple of months and one of the questions I asked was, what's your next move? What's your next career move? And uh, loads and loads and loads of people were saying, I want to go into consulting. Um, and there's this leap from I get a nice wage every month uh, but I get told what to do by a boss and then I can leap out and go out on my own and be my own boss 
but I've got no guaranteed wage. So how did you make sure basically that you uh, that you had a guaranteed wage coming in? Well, that's very interesting, Martin, and I think this is a big thing um, to do that leap. One, you've got to have an absolute, one, belief in the work that you do. And two, you've got to have that purpose. But also, you've got to be able to sell your services. Right. And, you know, there's a, there's a number of consultants out there that, you know, some of them are technical, um, um, and then they don't necessarily have that sales edge. So it's it's not easy, but I think the big thing that where I was fortunate, look, I didn't have any clients. I literally opened the door with no clients because I, I I chose I'd finished my role at Inside and I wasn't going to bring anything forward. Um, and yeah, it was from day one. But again, it, 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 the minute that you made that decision, interestingly, you know, this opportunity came up, that opportunity came up, a number of different opportunities. And to be honest, we've never not had a day that we haven't built. But let me say, this isn't fairy tale work. It's, and you'll know this, Martin, when you made the call, you know, when you made the decision as well, right? You've always got to be looking for the next job as such as in the next engagement. But you've also always got to be looking what do customers need? So, you know, it's beyond just what is right now. Right now we're dealing with whatever the situation is. But now we've also got to be seeing how can we, in future, how can we future-proof ourselves as well? So, yeah. I mean, it's when probably, you're an entrepreneur when you start on your own. We could probably do a whole podcast just on entrepreneurship, couldn't we? Oh. <laughs> yeah. And it's, you've know, got to be able to manage your time. I know. It's, it's, it's not for the faint-hearted, um, but it's the belief and purpose which could get you through. And, I mean, what would you say, Martin? I mean, you've, got to, you've been in the same situation. What would you say? I, I saw, I think I saw a percentage of my income. So I was moonlighting, basically. Um, I don't actively encourage everyone to do that because it might be a breach of contract, but I was moonlighting. And, mm. then, I, and then I saw 60 to 70% of my minimum income that I needed to live. And I thought, well, if I can do that moonlighting, what can I do if I was doing this full time? And um, made the leap. Yeah. Um, but yeah, right. a couple of things is one is um, uh, you, and I'm sure this is the case for Insight, your your current employer can be your best customer as soon as you leave. A lot of people are fearful of that, but yep. it can be. Um, and also, exactly as you said, nothing happens until the customer wants to spend some money. So you can write the best business plan in the world, but it's only when the customer actually wants to cut, cut a purchase order that things happen. So you've really got to be flexible. Yeah. So, yeah, you've either got to have a ton of money in the bank and be okay with that. But which I didn't. So I literally was one of the in that situation where um, I think the belief was that strong. The situation, the circumstances was was kind of not ideal, um, and and you know everything just aligned. But as long as you don't lose um, your your purpose as to why did you why are you doing this? Because I think what tends to happen, which is what I see a lot, is then you get there's a number of consultants that will get distracted by different opportunities. And then you suddenly become this generalist, whereas, you know, we're a specialist practice and we've stayed specialist. We don't sell Office 365 licenses. We don't heavy lift people, or, you know, lift and shift people. But, but we still focus on, on, on I suppose, the, the discipline of optimizing software licensing 
and software asset management, hardware asset management, and IT asset management, and we've never swayed from that. So five, six, seven years down the line, uh, what do SOS do? Well, I think maybe I'd like to change to why do we do it. Um, I think that's always uh, just an, an interesting angle to come in at is we do well, well, one, we want to make a difference to organizations in the opportunities around what software licenses are you using, what should you be using, and where are the opportunities to, one, reduce your cost, or two, to buy differently. Um, and by the same token, as you're doing all of this, not to, not to have, I suppose, have collaboration tactics, not to bully um, any vendors, I've, you know, I've just come out with some really interesting days of a, a couple of meetings where there's a lot of bullying going on. And, you know, from my session in, in Florida, I just find there's too much of that going on. So, again, it's just trying to um, create a business and create a service that you are working for the customer. The customer is the priority, but you are very much conscious and respectful of everyone in this area. So, you know, we're not out there bagging, as, and I'm sorry to, to bring up inside again, you know, we collaborate, right? We, we're not competing with anyone. And I think that's a big important thing is, you know, you stay strong and you stay full of integrity and, and purpose and, 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 and you create a business and clients want to work with you because they believe, you know, they feel comfortable in, in, in working with us and, and, and the work that we do in our practice. So it's everything around optimizing your software assets, your software asset position will, it will impact your software license position, your hardware assets will impact your software license position, and the whole way, your whole IT asset management process will impact your software license position. So we do anything related to, I suppose, that life cycle, and that's it. And, and what, what does that actually look like when the rubber hits the road? So is that managed service or consulting or a bit of both? And, and could you tell us a little bit about how big the team is and, and uh, what, you know, the, the, um, the scope of things? Yeah, um, well, look, we have, a, we have a various different, um, uh, I suppose, um, um, go-to-market services. There is obviously ideal services, and this is just a bit of mentoring for those consultants who do want to go out on their own, is you obviously always want to have a managed service. Um, and, and, and initially, I started with some really big high hopes, and then I've come right down to, well, there's low-tech services, right? Because when you try and go too high-tech, then you never really get started. So there's managed services around, you know, let's call it to really simplify things. Here is your current baseline, and then you do trending reports around what that baseline looks like. So, you know, every quarter you'll give the customer an update, well, just so you know, the servers haven't been remediated, and because they haven't been remediated, as your guys have told you, then the costs now are still very much looking like this. Oh, and by the way, you are, you know, three months from, from true up, and, and it, it's not likely to change, therefore you need to budget for this, right? So you've got the 12-month managed services. We also do a 90-day managed service, right? And we find the 90-day really does help organizations so they can really get a feel for, oh, is this what it looks like? Because different ITS management management practices do it quite differently. 
So just to give them a sense and again a comfort of the value and of course in those situations you always want to be looking as well for those quick wins um, and there's always a quick wins in the work a quick win in the work that we do. I mean you just have to look at some of the user profiles and there's opportunity there because there's so many duplicate users that most organizations are paying for. So we look at and that actually is another one of our services we look at we do user profiling work, we do SQL remediation work and SQL workload work. Um, we've got an A team of people, which I call out sort of our full-time um, staff, um, and we're around the sort of nine at the moment in our practice. But then, then we've got the B team, right? And so the B team is if we're doing an IBM review, then we will bring in an IBM specialist. And we've got our partners globally, which actually, Martin, you know, you've actually helped us source in the past. So we've got this really tight network of partners that we choose to do work for. And again, this is, we're not always going to be having an Oracle review, but when we are in an account in terms of expanding the services that you're doing, if the customer is having an issue with Oracle, then at least we've got an opportunity to bring in the specialist people to do and help on the Oracle work. So again, this is just an idea as well. I think I had one of my bosses um, when I was at CSC, he actually gave me this wonderful um, saying that I've never forgotten in this practice, which is, Philip, you never want people just on your bench. So everyone's got to be billable. And unless you've got, you know, you've got billable people, then you want to be able to virtualize, have a virtual team to do some of that work. And so that's how we operate. Yeah. And, um, the same could be argued for an internal SAM team, and you can use you know, SAM partners on a tactical basis like that as well, can't you? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the thing is, you've just got to get comfortable. Um, I think you're, I, I, I mean, look, Martin, I'm not just saying this because you're interviewing me now, but I really do think your network is, um, is highly regarded and the people that I work with that have actually come um, that are also ITEM um, readers and, and um, followers of the work and contributors. Um, I think you just get really comfortable with, with those practices. And yeah, when you get to, I mean, you're going to have some really big peaks in work and you're not going to, and you get some, some times of the year that you, you're not, you don't have as much on. But there is opportunity because you know that our skills are so rare and valuable to actually use um, other companies when you need to. So could you tell me about the road to Toronto? Because um, I think I met you, you were on the way to the US partner conference and I knew that you'd won something. And usually as a result of that, because they do the press beforehand, it's not like a big surprise announcement, is it? And I knew you'd won something. I was expecting a photo of you shaking hands with some partner, head of partners for Microsoft. So you're heading over to Toronto. And then the next thing I see is this tweet come out and it looks like you're in a stadium with like 20,000 people watching and you're on this huge screen like that finished, <laughs> fills up half the, the um, uh, we have we have the O2 in the UK, which is like I don't yes. know, we're, 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 every big city's yeah. got one, a massive stadium. So how, how did you come from uh, start, Sam Startup to being nominated for... Microsoft Sam Partner of the Year. Can you tell us about that journey? Oh, I'd love to. It's actually one of those. I think I'm the, and someone wrote the other day about me, I'm the poster child of possibility, and, and I love that, right, because it's true. Martin, 16 years ago, I sat in, um, I was in Anaheim, and um, 
um, watching Steve Barmer hand out these global awards. And I, at the time, I was working at CSE, and um, I said, one day I'm going to win one of those awards, right? And it took me uh, 10 years to start my practice, to have the courage to start my practice, and then six years to win that award. Um, so let me tell you, I, I relished every moment. Um, the journey to there was one, you've got to put in a submission, right? And fortunately, we had a customer that was willing to share. And I think, the, you, and you probably know this, that we do such incredible work. There's a lot of customers that, you know, are, are not one, they're not able to be a reference, and two, they're not willing to be a reference. Um, and fortunately, we had a customer that was willing to share and, 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 and a case study that we could actually submit. I have to say, I, I did not submit that um, award thinking this is it, this is the winning submission. Um, so I was just wonderfully, wonderfully surprised when, when we won. And, you know, just that validation to go, I did it, you know, and it only took me 16 years. So <laughs> I suppose, you know, if I could tell everyone, you know, just never lose sight of that vision because I, I had that vision um, and, and it was, you know, it came true, which was so great. And, you know, I got to meet Satya Nadala and um, Gabriella Schuster. And what was so funny about being on the stage was um, someone, you know, they'd asked if I could introduce a keynote. And um, I thought I was going to be in like a back room or something. Um, and then we, we had to come for rehearsals the day before. And I said, oh, so it will be dark over here where we're standing. And they went, <laughs> Someone, some guy said to me, oh, no, ma'am, you'll very much be up there. And I was like, oh, shoot. Right. That means everyone's going to see me. Like, I just thought you might be able to hear me. Um, but, yeah, so in front of 16,000 partners, I was so blessed to get to introduce Gabriella Schuster, um, which is wonderful, who's the head of partners. So yes, it's a wonderful journey, Martin, and again, it isn't. It's 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 been a long journey and focus. And I think it was you met me in 2010, and you know what it's like for you, and it's the same for me, and and all the consultants, you know, that we all started, you know, on that long journey back then, and we're still here. And I think it's it's just staying really true to the work that we do, and 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 if we do that, then. You, you, you will always have opportunities, um, but you also need to be looking ahead um, and realize that we are consultants with a passion, but we also need to be you know, we're able to run a business as well. And, and that also is very interesting <laughs> in itself. So, so could you tell us about the actual submission itself? What, what won, what, what was the sort of nature of the story? Obviously it's a Sam story of some description, but what, what did the customer do why did you win over Microsoft with your submission? Um, what was wonderful about this customer is, one, it was Housing Authority of Western Australia. So one, it was a public sector organisation. What was great is that they'd actually brought us in for, they just, they had the shadow IT issue. Now the scope changed um, when we got in there because they were, they were wondering, well, you know, HR's bought some application and, you know, how do we control this? Anyway, but sort of that all changed because we we needed to understand, well, what's the baseline here? Like, you know, do you know what you're starting with? And so they didn't. So then we started off with the baseline and we, you know, we found opportunities as they evolved because you're not, we, we don't just walk into an organization, do a piece of work and sell and forget, right? There's some really interesting 
findings that we had in there that then led to, well, there's remediation opportunities here, and you could actually shift workloads to cloud. So suddenly it became, um, you know, we went from coming in as a shadow IT problem to a, a baseline to a, um, a infrastructure as, as a service opportunity to move workloads to Azure and then to optimize those workloads. So it was textbook what you, what what our, our practice should be doing and, and is doing. So as a consultant, this is what we want to see. We want to see optimizing workloads. We want to see cost reduction, which is, which is all came encompassed in the space of 90 days, we were able to achieve this in this customer. And, and let me tell you that we achieved this not by telling the customer, oh, quickly turn off that workload. Because that's not what ITAM professionals do, right? What we do is we say, this could be moved into this workload. You are going to pay licenses, but you probably wouldn't need to pay this license type, but you could pay this license type. And that's what's different um, about the work the true ITAM professionals do, and some don't. So how do you view um, Microsoft at the moment? Because they've obviously gone, they've gone all cloud, and they've got this focus about pushing everything to the cloud, and they've got this one Microsoft and trying to be more of a cohesive unit. Um, and you've, you're seeing them drop anything that isn't cloud. And that seemingly was Sam as well. Lost, uh, I think at the Toronto uh, conference, I didn't attend, but I heard that they, they did a, they sort of said, look, we're dropping all this Sam stuff and it's going to expire. And then last week, I think, or this week, they said, we're bringing back a Sam exam. Um, what's, what's going on? Okay. So one thing to be clear is, they haven't dropped SAM. There's very much a SAM and compliance team at Microsoft. Um, I actually really love what they're doing. Now, the competency had to go away. That went away with a number of other competencies. I can't exactly remember the exact number. So the competency went away, but SAM didn't go away. And what I actually really love, what Patama, who's the head of, Patama Chandrick, which is, she's the head of Microsoft, I actually really like her approach. What I like about it is she's actually trying to get Gartner and um, uh, Forrester and uh, whom I'm missing. Um, oh, there's one of the other analysts. Can't remember now. Um, actually, to see some of the work and the value that we do, right? Because obviously, you know, they they write a lot about who's auditing and how to get out of audits and everything. But I thought that their approach is quite good in that they're actually showing some value cases of work that's been done with customers actually willing to share. So it hasn't gone away. Um, what they have changed though is they are very much not about audit. And I think there was this perception that there was still audit. So there's some vendors that are still doing audit. So they've even changed right down to um, how people get recognized. Um, so, Yes, they want cloud, obviously, uh, cloud opportunity, but they also want cloud opportunity where there's actually usage. So I think what they realized is they were selling 0365 and, and, and Azure, but there's not a high consumption. So what they very much want is they need consumption. Um, so again, there's great opportunity for, for us in the work that we do, which is around why you're not using this and how could you use this better and how could you avoid overage and so on. So I hope that answers your question there. So they, they're very much in the SAM. Um, they haven't dropped SAM, put it that way. So do, do you think they see SAM still as strategic for helping people get to cloud? 
and, and selling off the 365 euro and all the rest of it? I do. Um, I, I, I do believe they do. And that's what they're trying to change, the perception around. And I know the work, I mean, look, yes, we do do a chunk of our work. We do Microsoft work client-funded work and yes you know we are Microsoft Gold partners so Microsoft do you know introduce us to clients to do reviews on their behalf right um, and I know there's some stuff that's been in the press which I don't necessarily agree with um, but that's a different topic altogether but they are very much around if it makes sense so clearly you know an Office 365 would be op more optimum than buying on-premise license, uh, on, on premise licenses, but if it makes sense. Right. For the customer, that is. So talking, talking of strategic, um, I know that one of the topics that you're passionate about is uh, how uh, cybersecurity and ITAM uh, overlap. And I think the, the potential between security and ITAM has always been there, but it's one of these things that's sort of coming together uh, and overlapping more, um, crashing together, just like ITAM and ITSM. So, what, what's your view on that? What, why, and maybe what's your story that you tell to clients around how ITAM can help cybersecurity? Um, well, Martin, we are actually doing a number of cybersecurity SAM engagements and, and cloud-related engagements. And actually, obviously, a lot of that came on the back of some of the Microsoft value plays that they introduced. And I must say, I hadn't really kind of got it. And when I did get it, I went, oh my goodness, this is so relevant to the work that we're doing. So in terms of the cybersecurity and SAM, the, the core of cyber is around, well, where are the gaps? In, 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 our, in our assets, in our people, in our people access. And from what I've interviewed a number of cyber tech firms, and a lot of them are not drilling into things like Active Directory, like we are doing, right? So looking in AD and go, you know, you've got a, a bunch of, 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 of really old users in here that are in here that have never even accessed AD. So why are they in here? Um, so it's almost like we're doing the very foundational work of cybersecurity. So I always put my hand up and, and, and our people will say to our clients, we're not going to find a botnet in here, but we're going to show you that, you know, users have not changed passwords or that there's service pack deviations here or that, you know, we've got a situation with one of our clients, for example, is they use Trend as antivirus, right? But not all the versions of, of Trend are the same in this organization. So we've highlighted, look, you know, some of them are this version, some of them are at that version and actually some haven't even had a rollout for, for a number of years. And you know, this server hasn't been rebooted. So these are angles that SAM professionals can be doing that cybersec professionals are not doing. Now, again, I think because they're looking more at the periphery um, and we're looking at the, the, the infrastructure, the, you know, the assets, the user, um, the, the usernames, duplicate users, um, the devices that haven't been seen, stale domains, uh, servers that are running Windows 2003 or SQL 2000. So, so I, I want to call this unsexy work. Um, I suppose the sexy work of cybersecurity is finding a botnet and bringing someone down. So we're not doing that. Um, but this is this is really cool stuff, and the findings 
are so relevant and cybersecurity is so relevant to the work of a SAM professional. So again, in terms of future-proofing yourself, like I said earlier, this is the stuff that we need to be doing more of, right? And this is the stuff that we are doing more of, more cloud work, cloud readiness work. Um, so how are you how are you these are how are you positioning that? Is that you're you're in doing a managed service and you're saying, here's all this value added stuff that I can give you because we're collecting this stuff anyway and passing it to cybersecurity yeah. Or are you being asked to find this stuff? How how are these projects coming up in the first place? Well, um interestingly, no no one sort of gets the link um um between the two, right? So we are positioning exactly as you said, we've got such rich data that we collect and insights that we we're able to see that again i mean there is we, we actually almost when we're putting some of our um reports together and and the engagements you know the customer really has to select which one do you want to go with here right because you can go so deep in this information um and all from data really so it's representing to the customer i mean it's really interesting, the very first thing that we need, and I know this is a bit contrary to what I remember um, hearing and even studying um, when I first started in software asset management is, I remember, and I can't remember where I got the source from, was, oh, you know, you don't really need a baseline. Well, I really believe that you do need a baseline. If you don't have an existing baseline, you've got to start somewhere. That's where you start. Everything then comes from that. And that's where you start to see, oh, this is really interesting. You know, there's a stale domain here. And look at all these assets. Or in one of the cases the other day, Martin, we found that there was a server that had browser access and that had actually accessed uh, a, a browser session within a server. Now, you know that's not not a good idea um, for services to servers to be accessing internet um, again, especially if they're not at the latest. Uh, uh, if they if they're running on a, a, a Windows server that's not in mainstream support. So these are the things that the intelligence is there. It's just presenting it in a way that's beyond a baseline. And is this introducing you to new contacts at your customers? Is is that are you opening your network here? Um, look, I I I'm not sure about. I always love to say that, and I know it's almost like sales 101 training, which is like you know go beyond the CIO. Um, it's still not so sure about that, and I'd love to say yes. You know, suddenly we're having CFO conversations, um, but we're not, because um, we still find that we sort of we do get, you know, we all end up coming back to CIOs. But what we are trying to do, Martin, is cybersecurity in a lot of organisations isn't even sitting in IT. It's actually sitting in in risk and governance or in finance. So what we're trying to do is actually trying to bring it into into IT. Um, and so the decision, you know, make it a board level concern, which it's, it's getting more visibility, but actually bring it within IT. I don't know. Do, do you see the same thing that I, as cybersecurity sitting in, in in an area other than IT, or is that uh, just here in Australia? Uh, I'm I'm not sure. It, it's it's one of these things that can sit in. It's, it's almost like a SWAT team sometimes, isn't it? Mm. Um, I'm not even sure that. Um, that people have a grip on exactly what ITAM data can bring them. They they almost they're, they're I'm not sure ignorant is the right word, but they're not even aware of what's sat there under their fingertips. Should they want to look, that could help them. Yeah. Um, it's almost you could probably do with a 
in an ideal world, you'd have a an, an ITAM analyst with a security bent that was looking at ITAM data, looking for security um, potential, basically, in an ideal world. Um, yep. Purely looking at ITAM data, nothing else but ITAM data to think, well, even little things like, um, you know, all of our laptops are supposed to be encrypted. So if somebody leaves it on a bus, uh, the, the data, the, you know, the company data doesn't walk off site. Um, and, and simple thing with ITAM is think, well, show me all the laptops that haven't got encryption software because we're doing that anyway, aren't we? That's not even a difficult yeah. thing to do, is it? Um, so, yeah, I think uh, lots of potential there. And it's almost a potential um, a potential job description for somebody of the future. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's it's our practice, right? So again, what when I say to you, we need to be future proofing. It's seeing these opportunities um, and doing them. Like you know, we we're doing we're doing. Uh, I, I, I want to say almost. Oh, I wish I could get the exact stats, but let's say um, we, we barely do any baseline work anymore. It's either cyber security work, we're doing lots of SQL work because, as you know, SQL is a huge impact in a lot of organizations. We're doing some cloud, a lot of cloud work. So it's almost that's where um, the, the priority engagements are. Now, in, in a little bit of a spin here around the data, it's, it's just taking that data and looking at it different angles, right? And like I said to you, it's almost like, look, I know we're doing a cyber review, but we found all these cloud reviews. It's like, oh no, <laughs> that might be an opportunity to do a cloud review with this customer. And, and one of our customers, to give you an idea around the cloud, is they had the highest Azure consumption I've actually seen in a, in a customer, right? Um, but they, it seems that when you spin up a, a template in Azure, it, it may be that it's defaulting to the highest spec one, or maybe as sysadmins do, they, they actually pick the highest spec because they think that's the better one, right? But in this particular customer, they were spending $40,000 a month on Azure. Um, we showed them using their performance data and really having a good look at the, you know, what was in use um, and, and the service spec and the, matching it to the actual template in Azure. We showed them how with a switch of a button, that number could be 15,000. So we could save them $25,000 a month. Now, you know, this isn't bringing, out a ton, bringing down a ton of servers and then bringing them back up again and, and so on, right? This is simply by switching a switch. So again, I hope this is kind of inspiring those consultants that want to start, is just look at beyond what we were doing maybe three years ago. This is the... The, the work that we, we we were already collecting the data, as you said, um, it's in our item data. But now these are all optimizing opportunities, and again, just relevant to our discipline and the work that we do. And no one's doing this. And just to put that in context, I mean, it's just it's, it's just dollars that we're saving, but that could be three or four people' uh, salary or something, yeah. couldn't it? But, you know, in the IT team. Yeah. Um, so final. And again, it's not. Telling, sorry, Martin. It's not telling them to switch stuff off. So this is my biggest, um, I suppose, peeve in the industry. Is you know you might there are some consultants that sort of tout that Sam and ITAM is just about uninstalling stuff or just don't 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 tell anyone. Um, and you know I'm so anti that because I see the impact when people do that to the organisation. Because it's just a band-aid, and we know what happens with a band-aid. Like, you know, if you don't actually address the problem, 
it just it just comes back. Um, so again, it's just looking at don't don't switch stuff off if you really need it, but maybe look at a different way of deploying it or using it or buying it um, rather than try and compromise your users or compromise um, your licenses or your organisation. Yeah, you're looking at cutting the cost, but not the value. The not not, exactly. the, not the service quality, but the just the any waste. So so um. Yes. Final question I have for you is we had um, Kylie Fowler on um, on a podcast recently. Um, she's a UK-based practitioner. And yes, we, we were I talking, know. She's brilliant. We were talking about women in ITAM in particular because um, I think about 30% of the ITAM review audience is female, which I think is above the IT norm. And as a leader in this field, as a winner, um, I'm keen to get your, your insight into how we can inspire uh, women that maybe are already in ITAM or maybe they're thinking about, maybe they're working on a service desk and thinking about coming into this field or maybe they're thinking about starting their own practice. Um, any any views to share about how we might encourage uh, encourage more, more women into the ITAM space? Uh, look, again, I'm, you know, I'm very involved in women in IT and of course we'd love to see more women um, in, in ITAM. Um, I think, I've, I've been asked this a number of times, and I really think we have to get um, women to see that um, IT is not just about coding. I mean, I don't know how to code, but and, you know, I'm a woman in IT, and, 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 I've, and, and I've, I've made a success out of this profession, right? Um, so it's trying to get them to see, again, beyond your traditional roles. Like, you know, there's data scientists, someone is saying is the hottest career at, this, at, at, at the moment. So if you can imagine, if there's a woman out there who's really good at Excel and who really is interested in data and, 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 and splicing the data in different ways, can you just imagine how wonderful they would be in a role of a data scientist? Um, and just showing up that, whoa, look at this dream. Like, you know, you cut your data, you, you know, you do a lot of analysis on your readers. Um, someone could be doing that work, right? So it's you know I believe it's getting to the schools um, and especially um, um, you know my daughter's 14 at the moment and is trying to get to you know down to her year to get these girls to realise because at at her school you know they only really talk about yeah they're talking about STEM but the people that are doing STEM are still very much looking at it as you know like come to a coding class and you know do engineering and you know do math. Whereas I'm trying to say, look, you know, you could be a project manager and you could be a damn good one in IT, right? Um, so don't just look at it as, as someone that you've got to code. And I think that's where the education opportunities are, is to, you know, get people to realize there's different roles in IT. And, I mean, I started this, right? I was going to be a pharmacist and I moved and I went and studied I did such basic IT courses, right? Um, I got a role at Microsoft, and then I went, oh, software licensing, this is rather interesting. Oh, I think I'm going to play here. Um, and again, you just become a specialist in that area. But there's so many, I mean, you could be an IBM specialist, an Oracle specialist. Um, you know, we've got an eye for detail, um, and we've also got heart as well. So, we have, you know, we bring a lot to organizations, especially in IT, where, you know, there's a lot of, I suppose there could be some lots of ego discussions, and, and we can just bring a bit of softness to that too. Cool. Well, thank you very much for sharing your uh, your stories and your your background, Philippa. It's been really good to get you on the podcast, 
and we look forward to seeing you at one of our conferences in uh, 2017. Um, where can people get hold of you? Where can people learn more about SOS? Um, look, I'm on LinkedIn, and I think I'm the only Philippa Preston on LinkedIn, so it's Philippa with an F. Um, and I'm always open to mentoring, love to help. Um, um, obviously, through you as well, um, Martin, I really thank you for, I love your, your I suppose I want to always call you leading edge trailblazer. Um, you know, this is, this is what we need in this industry. And, you know, thanks for, for everything that you do to make, I suppose, the industry they're in relevant and um, yeah just it, you just put things in a different perspective um, which, which I really love um, and and a lot of my colleagues that follow your work we all agree you're doing a great job so thank you so and, yep and you um, reach out to you LinkedIn. it's sos success.com sos success.com okay. I can't yep. believe you're the only Philippa Preston on LinkedIn how's that possible and on Twitter as well. Well, you know. <laughs> um, I, I phone up my I phone yeah. up my dentist, right? And I say I'm Martin Thompson, and they say which one? In my town, there's six of us. Uh, we're just common as muck. So for you to say that you're the only <laughs> Philippa Preston in the whole world, that's pretty unique, isn't it? Well, I think the last I looked, I think I was. So um, yeah, it is actually. Um, so yes, I'd love to, I really do, I'm here and available, um, love to share stories. We always want, um, you know, we love a success story, don't we, Martin? Yeah, It's good to see, like, it's all possible, and, I, and, and I'm, I'm here with, you know, I suppose, all hard telling you that it is possible, it's not an easy journey, and, and, and you know that as well as I know that. You've always got to be looking, what's the next thing, what's the next opportunity, but you've also always got to be stay in in in, in um, I suppose centered around well what's your value here and, and what are we trying to do and, and not get distracted by low-hanging fruit amen to that Philippa Preston uh, thank you very much for joining the podcast we look forward to seeing you soon thank you so much Martin Join us at our annual conferences in London, Florida and Sydney to learn everything you need to know about ITAM in the cloud era. For more details, head to itassetmanagement.net forward slash events.